Amen. Amen. Uh, don't forget to be praying tonight. We got, uh, I call him Amazon, Dave. Dave, uh, Dave Kraft and, uh, and his wife were come driving in from Miami. Talked to them earlier in the afternoon. They were around the Daytona Beach area somewhere. And also Bradley and Nikki Perez are driving in from Texas. And so both of those guys got some long, long 12 or more hour drives. So guys, keep those, them in prayer. They both should arrive sometime tonight, they said. And I'm sure that they're having a good time. Amen. We're continuing our study in the epistle of 1 John. Da, 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 da. Number 27. Thank you, Caprice, for keeping us on point on that. Uh, diving in, uh, if you have your Bibles tonight, we're going to be uh, flipping open to uh, 1 John uh, chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. Um, last week, folks, we discussed what I call probably some of the most avoided passages in the New Testament. If you were here last week, you, you know that's the case. It's, it's not that they're so difficult, it's just that they're so misunderstood. And you know, if we try to do anything in the Scripture under our own strength, it's impossible. It really is. I mean, it's kind of like that parenthetical statement in Romans chapter 7 where uh, uh, Paul the Apostle is talking about before he left his religious heritage of Judaism and came to an experience with Christ. He said, listen, the things that I wanted to do, couldn't do them. He said, the things that I said I'd never do, he said, I ended up doing those things. Has anybody ever been there? Then all of a sudden Christ comes in and enables you to do all things through him who gives you strength. And, and so we look at those verses that we discussed. I'll go ahead and read those to you tonight to kind of set up where we're going with that tonight. It's First John chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. And he said that he that commits sin is of the devil. Now you can see why people want to avoid that because of the, the teaching that's come forth from many pulpits. He says, for the devil sins from the beginning. If this is the reason, he said, that the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. And he goes on to say, whoever is born of God, whoever is born again, does not continue to commit sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. So last week I explained that uh, what this is dealing with is more of a person having an inroad for sin rather than just having instances of sinning. And so what happens we, when we transgress the righteousness of God or miss the mark, that's an instance of sinning. But when we become born again, we no longer allow the adversary just to have an open uh, control of our lives, not to have that inroad, even though you may find yourself at, at, at various times having those instances of those things. But, you know, I could stand up here all night and cluck like a chicken. Now, don't ask me to do it. I was doing it for the boys in the nursery earlier, but I'm not going to do it here. But that doesn't make me a chicken, does it? Nope. I could say moo or nay, and it wouldn't make me a cow or a horse either. Why? Because that's not who I am by nature. And so the thing about when we come to Christ Jesus and you, you may have an instance of, 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 of coming short of God's glory, but that doesn't change who you are by nature. That doesn't change who you, you are by the transformation. Now, if you continue to yield yourself over those things, what happens? Then you, what the Scripture says, you fall from that grace. You, you fall from that divine influence upon your heart, and it's reflection in your life, and you fall into something else. And so one is a habitual uh, thing based upon a yielding to the sin nature, and the other is, an occasion, is occasional because of the power that uh, we've been given to overcome sin through that sin nature that we once had. But we have the new birth. We have the washing and the regeneration of the word in our life. We have daily repentance. We have worship. We have fellowship with one another. We have that intimacy with Christ Jesus that empowers us to walk in victory. So, folks, when we come to that genuine, that relationship with Christ through faith and the finished work of the cross, We've made, been made free from the dominion of sin over our lives. Now we have the ability to walk in victory. We have the ability to walk in freedom. Doesn't that feel good? Because I remember being religious and just having enough knowledge and having you know that, that experience of people patting me on the back and telling me I was okay, but never thinking something was different, never being different, never having the Spirit itself bear witness with my spirit that I was a child of God. But then I remember that day I got born again. 
and everything changed. Now I had the power. I had the power and the dominion through the Spirit of God dwelling inside of me to live and to walk in victory. So we're no longer sinners by nature, but rather we're saints through a relationship with Jesus. We're no longer slaves or obligated to carry on in accordance to our previously unredeemed spiritual condition, but we have become slaves to and under spiritual obligation to obey the Spirit of God that has come to take up residence in our heart. Don't you love being a slave to Jesus? That's what Paul said in Romans chapter 1. He said, I'm a doulos. I'm a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm bond servant. I'm somebody that's yielded myself to him. I'm a slave. I'm, I'm wrapped in his chains and, uh, of mercy and grace, and I'm held captive by his love for me. Now, that's a good place to be. Now, the contrary wasn't very good for us. Why? Because all it had was sorrow and disappointment and all those things. And so John's epistle is dealing with both cause and effect associated with people's inability to understand and walk in just a simple Truth. Folks, i got news for you. The Word of God is really simple. Yes. It, it, really, it really is a simplistic thing. I think what happens is we want to bring psychology and, and, and man, man's reasoning into the equation, and we forget that it's really, really very simple. And so I'm going to give you something tonight, uh, a couple things to look at, and really this whole cause and effect that's associated with our inability to really understand uh, and walk in the simple truth apart from the Holy Spirit. And A, if you're taking notes tonight, Here's what we saw happen, and here's what's the lead-up into what we're going to be talking about tonight. What you saw was an infiltration of false teachers and false doctrine that literally sought to nullify the power of the blood of Jesus by making compromise an acceptable standard and claiming that compromise was the result of some new revelation or some mercies that had been acquired. Now, folks, what I mean by that is this. Even today, I, I know people that have been involved in churches and things, and they say, listen, beforehand we didn't think it was okay for us to drink. But now we've got a new revelation. Beforehand, we didn't think it was, was, was okay for us to do certain other types of sins and other types of compromise. But God has given us a, a new revelation. Folks, if you don't think those things are going on, they're going on all over. You've been hiding under a rock or you've been sticking your fingers in your ears and humming to yourself. Those things are going on. And they're calling these things a new revelation. Well, if I went back 2,000 years ago, you know what I'd call it? I'd call it what John called it. He'd call it the Gnostics. The people that says, we've got a new revelation, we've got a new knowledge, and so we just have something you don't have. People on television preaching that stuff all the time. The people like the Joseph Princes and stuff like that are telling you, that, listen, you don't even need to talk about sin. The only power sin has is when you talk about it. Well, why does the Bible tell us to confess our sins one to another if we're not even supposed to talk about it? Why it tells us when we do that, what happens? There's a freedom that comes into our life. Confess your sins. He's faithful and just to forgive those things and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. But when you have to bring the reality of there was something broken that requires a daily uh, 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 coming to Christ Jesus in faith. And so that they infiltrated through false teaching and they, they made it as an acceptable standard. Also, here's the thing we're going to talk about tonight. What effect does that have on the body of Christ? What effect is saying that it's all okay, that we can just cool by God, just do what you want to do, and it's just some ecumenical type of approach? Now, on the surface, it looks like that we could just have that whole Rodney King theology, and this is all get wrong. Folks, but what fellowship does light have with darkness? It doesn't. Do you think for a minute that you're going to be able to allow just a little bit of darkness in your life, and it's ever going to be satisfied? Do you think that you're going to be able to do that? No, what it's going to do is going to sneak up on you. It's going to make these deals with you. It's going to keep you longer than you thought you'd stay and charge you more than you ever thought you was going to pay. That's what it's going to do with you. 
And so we begin to make concessions for things outside the realm of God's truth. There's going to be a consequence for those things, and we're going to see it happening here. And the subsequent effect of those things we'll be, we'll be talking about as we look at, uh, at uh, verses 11 through 18 tonight in John chapter 3. But look at 1 John 3.10. I'm going to jump on the back side of that. We talked about the first half of that last week. But here's what we're going to go on. It says, in this, somebody said this, the children of God are manifested and the children of the devil. So a line is being drawn in the sand. And he said, listen, I'm about to tell you something. You want to identify who a child of God is versus a child of the devil. He said, here it is. A, whoever does, uh, whoever doeth not righteousness is not of God. And so if I think for a minute that I can live like the devil and I can expect heaven, what does the Bible call me? It calls me a liar. It says, listen, you are a child of the devil. And B, it's neither he that loves his brother. And so if I think I can continue to walk in sin and I continue to do like uh, uh, do wickedness and think I'm okay, the Bible calls me a child of the devil. And also, if I do not love my brother. Now, that's an interesting one. In Lesson 26, what we dealt with exclusively is the issue of knowing a tree by its fruit. Remember that? The expectation of righteousness and holiness being seen and practiced by those who are truly born again. And folks, listen, this is clear cut. It's a mandate we see in the New Covenant. John's explicit, and all the other writers are explicit too. And it says that if there's anything that deviates from the truth is not gospel at all. And so if I want to inject something into the gospel message, once I inject something into it, it ceases to be gospel. It's kind of like a married couple. You have a husband and you have a, a wife. And so you have that fidelity. That a marriage was designed by God to be a man and a woman. Now, if you ever involve another person in that relationship, what happens? You cease to have a marriage. You no longer have a concord. You no longer have a, a fidelity. You have a breach in that covenant. It's the same thing with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Anytime you bring something else into that equation, it ceases to be what God intended it to be. And so the second portion of this test that we're talking about is, if we can call it, it's seen in the last part of that verse. And here it is. He says, the way that you can tell who the children of God are, who the children of the devil, it's those that do not love the brethren are not of God. So let's read our text tonight, verses 11 through, I'm going to read down to the 18th verse. And it says, this is the message you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Somebody say amen. amen. But don't be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and killed his brother. And why did, he kill him? why did he kill his brother? Because Cain had been doing what was evil, and his brother was doing what was righteous. So don't be surprised, dear brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. If, uh, if, if we love our Christian brothers and sisters, then it proves that we have passed from death to life. But a person who has no love is still dead. Anyone who hates another brother or sister is really a murderer at heart. And you know that murderers do not have eternal life within them. We know that really what love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we ought to also give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need, but does not show compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other, but let's show the truth by our actions. I want to give you a question tonight to ponder in your mind. What is the primary reason that people, talking about the body of Christ, not the world, okay? What is the primary reason that you can think of why people cease to love one another in the body of Christ? Pardon? We got pride? What else do you think it would be? Sin, that's a good problem. <laughs> that would be proud. That'd be anything. Amen. Jealousy. Jealousy. Offense. 
All, all those things that can cause. Now, what's what's interesting about that question is that question is going to be answered right here tonight. I think it's really going to be, you're going to find it probably very telling. And see, I'm not talking about superficial or worldly type of love. I'm not talking about uh, can we all get along. I'm not talking about can we all just coexist with one another. But I'm talking about a biblically defined term for love. Let me look at something. I'm going to give you a turn back to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 24, verses 4 through 13. And remember the question, what is the primary reason that people in the body of Christ cease to love one another? We call pride, jealousy, all these other type of things. Matthew 24, verses 4 through 13, Jesus is going to reveal this truth to us. And it says, Jesus said unto them, Take heed that no one deceives you. He says, For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will see many. Verse 6. And you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see that you're not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Verse 7. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. He said, but all of these things, in verse 8, are the beginning of sorrows. In verse 9, he said, they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my namesake, and then many will be offended. There's a word something through in there. Will betray one another and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will arise and deceive many. Now, pay close attention to verse 12. He says, because lawlessness... Iniquity, wickedness, sinfulness, use whatever words you want to use, will abound because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. So if I had asked the question again, what's the primary reason that people cease to love one another? Jesus said it's because lawlessness abounds. When there's no standard when we cease to hold to a biblical standard that defines what love is, that defines what righteousness is, what defines what relationships is, all within the body of Christ, it says that what happens, the love of many will grow cold. Now, folks, I'm going to give you something. If you're writing this down, you're going to see a progression of how things work, and we've all been witnesses to every bit of this. And the first part of that progression that Jesus gave was this, the warning against the coming deception. Everything that leads us away from Christ has got to start with a deception. You look at anything in your life, you get deceived. Man, how did they trick me? Well, they deceived you. They set you up for a fall by presenting something that kind of looked right, but it ended up not being right. And so there's a coming deception. That word deceive literally means this. It means to lead down the wrong path. And so if I'm deceived, it means I'm led down the wrong path. What did we see in our previous lesson about that he who what? Commits sin. He who has an inroad into their life, is of the devil. And folks, how does the, the devil find an inroad? What does he do? He deceives you into allowing another path to come into your life. Now, how do you see that? Some people are led down a wrong, uh, deceiving road through an opportunity. If anybody ever got an opportunity, maybe you thought it was such a good opportunity for you. Man, look, God is opening the doors. It's got to be the Lord because the door is open. Once you find, you found yourself on a path to destruction. Oh, man, this old boy is just perfect for me. Oh, man, this old girl is just the one for me. Then what happens? You, you, you wake up one day and say, whoa, 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 that wasn't for me. Well, it looked like it to begin with. Or whatever the circumstance you found yourself involved in, maybe it was a job opportunity or something, then you just had to say it was God because it's so much what you wanted to do. And you found yourself deceived by it. You led down the wrong path. The wrong path is the path that opens up the inroad for sin to have dominion over your life. Now, folks, here's the problem that we find ourselves in many times. 
We make one decision, and because we want to validate it, we say that this is God. Then what do we do? We're in a deceptive situation. We're going to stay in a deceptive situation because we don't want to back up three steps and say, listen, I repent. That wasn't God. Rather than say, well, you know what? Maybe God was just using that. You see how deceived we get. Or, 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 or maybe that was just a test I was bringing me through. Or maybe it was just, we want to justify our sin and call it God's hand. And so we stay deceived. And we leave that inroad only to our life rather than say, whoa, nail it. That wasn't God just uh, uh, putting me through a situation to teach me something. That was me walking contrary to God. And as a result, I put myself on another path. Folks, we can't do that. Sometimes you just got to say, I missed it. That wasn't God. I blew it. I repent. I'm closing the door on that path of deception into my life. Otherwise, what do you do? You leave it open. Why? Because then you have another bit of deception to cover up the previous deception. Anybody ever been guilty of that in this room? I know I'm in the right place. Amen? And so just one, one deception on top of another. So he, he warns against the coming deception. Then he, the second progression of things, he said the deception, he said this deception will claim the name of Christ that ties us into the other. Well, it's got to be the Lord. This has got to be an opportunity. Folks, what does the word tell us? There's a way that seems so right to a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Notice it doesn't say there's a way that seems wrong to a man. Right. Folks, it's not the things that seem wrong that sneak up on us. Right. We know what that looks like. It's the things that seem so right that lead us to destruction. They bring that. And so it will be deceptive because it will appeal to the natural or soulish needs of people Thus, it will be very popular. Folks, that's the trap. The deception will come in the name of Christ. It's going to promise you something. It's going to promise you a blessing. It's going to say you're going to have your best life now. It's going to say you're going to get your little gigawatts. It's going to say you're going to have a great time. It's going to promise something to the soulish nature. It's going to say if you'll just do this, God's going to open up and, and pour you out a blessing, and you're going to have a Cadillac, and you're going to have a big house, you're going to have a Rolex watch, you're going to have the supermodel wife, and you're going to have the, the buff husband, you're going to have all these things, or whatever the deception might be that you're buying into. You see how it appeals. It appeals to that soulish nature, or it may just be something that just makes you feel good. Oh man, it just makes me feel so neat. I just feel so 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 warm and fuzzy all over. Folks, that's where it is. The deception always comes in the name of Christ. Why? Because if it came in the way of the name of the devil, there's not a single person in the right mind that would ever buy into it. And so how does he do? He presents himself as an angel of light. And he wants to say, here's the progression in Matthew 24. He said it will be in lockstep with trouble happening on global fronts. Anybody ever watch the news? I don't even call it the news. I call it the bad news. Because if you turn the television on, it was good news. You know what I'm saying? Nobody turns the television on to, to hear good news. Well, because there's no good news. Has anybody ever been pulled over by the police for speeding? Anybody here? Reckless driving? <laughs> I was guessing back here. You've been pulled over. Have you ever been pulled over by the police because you drove so good? <laughs> I mean, really, have you ever been told the last man, oh, what did I do? They pulled you on this again. Listen, I've been following you for miles. I have never in my life seen anyone who's such a good driver. See, that ever happened to anybody besides me on a regular basis? Just joking. It doesn't happen, does it? Now, what are they here for? They're to serve and to protect. Why don't they serve anything good? Why don't they pull over and smash on the bank and say, God, boy, did you signal that every time you change lanes, you came to a stop behind every stop sign? You know what? You, you, you slowed down at the intersection. You didn't pass that bus at the, at the, in the school zone. They don't do that, do they? 
And you can't tell me you're, you turn on the news thinking, okay, now it's going to be a sunny day tomorrow. I'm going to turn on the news and watch this how great the weather's going to be. What do you do? You turn around looking for storms, just like I do. Folks, isn't that what we look for? We're always looking for that thing. And so we can see that all of the things in our life that lead to deception are usually the mock stuff with the things that are happening on global fronts. You'll find that the natural, political, or economic conflicts are usually accompanied by spiritual ones. If you see something happening, we're talking about government shutdown. Folks, listen, that's just what you're seeing in the natural. There's something happening in the spiritual right now that's related to that. It may be on a personal level, God teaching you faith to get your eyes off of the world and off of elected officials and say, listen, the government shall be upon his shoulders until there be no end. That, you know, you, you ladies, I keep seeing all these people on, on, on Facebook saying, uh, our, our wake is only good until the 15th. But I tell you what, my Jesus is going to be on the throne the 16th, 17th, 18th, 19th, and 20th. There ain't no sitting out of his government, amen. He's still standing, he's sitting on the throne, and he's not scooting over for anybody. And so sometimes we see those conflicts that are happening. Why? They say, oh, if the government shuts down, uh, the wrong politician is in office. No, the companion in your heart is in office. You need to rely upon him. Why? Because if I seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and the other things that be added unto me. And so the reason for this is because stressful natural conflicts are the easiest means that the adversary has in order to influence the body of Christ. He does. He'll use worldly conflicts in the easiest means to influence the body of Christ. Now, people will react quicker to something happening in Washington than they will in their own church. They will. You, want to, you, you talk about, oh, we're going to have a big recession. You know what people stop doing? They stop giving, don't they? Well, I've got to hold on to something. And so all you got to do is see uh, uh, something happening on a political or an economic basis, and people begin to say, listen, I don't want to do that. Something bad is going to happen. They say, listen, there's going to be trouble in the city. Oh, I can't go out and preach the gospel because something. I remember years ago when the, the whole Y2K thing. Remember that? Yeah. Maybe you guys stored up a bunch of stuff somewhere. Be honest. Anybody do that? <laughs> did you do that? <laughs> See, so I knew somebody. I had good friends that did that, boy. And they said, listen, I'm storing up because you got to be ready for that. Well, I'm like, you know what? I ain't got to store up anyway. You know? I probably, at the time, I was weighing like 300 pounds. I probably get it done without eating for about six weeks. <laughs> But what happened, we had people tell us, listen, you know, it's Y2K. Are you still going to go and do that outreach? We had people asking us stuff about ministry. You can't do that because they remember that mail. It was like, yeah. Y2K, Y2K1, Y2K13 now, about to be 14. Yes, yeah, still doing it. I'm not locked into some calendar in regards to my obedience. So you see how all those things happen. And you can look at issues that have come along in the past generation and really take the focus away from the gospel that fit into this category. I'm going to give you some examples of things that you're going to see. I'll give you about four or five of them. That you're going to see things in, 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 world, in the world, things in culture that have taken away the focus from the body of Christ. What about the Cold War? You've heard of the Cold War? You want to talk about Reagan ended it with the, 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 the taking down of the, the Berlin Wall and all those things? But the Cold, Cold War, what it did, it put a focus on escapism and trying to figure out the end times and not redeeming the time. That's what it did. So everybody was worried, okay, is it the is 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 the book of Ezekiel? Is it talking about Russia? Is it talking about Syria? Is it talking about those those great armies from the east? Is that China? And so everyone got so focused upon the Cold War, they didn't realize that our battle was not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, the rulers of the darkness and sages, spiritual wickedness in high places. 
And so we get all these things. There's going to be this nuclear proliferation and, 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 and every television show dating back all the way to the 50s, the Twilight Zone and everything else. It's always about you know the, uh, a great nuclear tragedy and zombie movies and all these other things happened because of that. And what happened? People began to focus on the Cold War more than they focused upon Jesus. About the 80s, what began to happen was this thing called the Moral Majority. Remember that? It was an attempt to legislate rather than disciple morality. And it took the focus away from the prayer closet and put it in the ballot box. Folks, listen, I've got people, I've got preachers that do not speak to me anymore because I don't take political stance. Seriously. They think that I'm crazy. They, have, they won't even talk to me because I'm not choosing Democrats or Republicans. I don't got any use for any of those people. Do you hear what I'm saying? I, you, you, you won't complain about he's in the White House. I didn't vote for Bush, and I didn't vote for Barack Obama. I don't think either one of them is worth two cents. Okay? You hear what I'm saying? They need, both need to get saved, and whoever it is that's in there, that's all I'm concerned about is their soul. Their policy does nothing for me. Why? Because they're not the one I follow. And so I'm not on either side of the aisle, I'm not on the middle of the aisle. I don't have anything to do with those folks. Listen, the government's upon his shoulders. But this moral majority came in and said, we can just get the right judges in and we can make the right decision. No, if you can go and preach the gospel and see hearts and lives change through the preaching of his word, what's going to happen? People are going to start acting right. People aren't going to be having a, a, a pregnancy out of wedlock. Why? Because somebody has told them, listen, you're not going to do that just because somebody in the White House said not to do that. You're going to do that because somebody in your heart and mind, you've been changed. You're not going to have people out there aborting their, their, their children because of the, 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 the right or the wrong. Amen? Because I tell you what, if John 3.16 waited for the, the Supreme Court to be in the right condition before he stood out there and preached the gospel, then I tell you what, he'd think he's wasting his time. He's not saying, well, I can't go out there and, and, and share the gospel and good news with these girls going to these places because, man, the Supreme Court stacked against me. Uh-uh. The Supreme Court of Heaven is all in his favor, and he can go out there and he can rescue one person through the preaching of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter who's sitting on the bench. Right. You hear what I'm saying? So we can't legislate those type of things. People are saying, well, it's going to come a time where preachers are going to have to marry homosexuals. Now, how did they even come to that point? I don't have to marry every heterosexual couple that comes in. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, I say no to heterosexual couples just as quick as I say to a homosexual couple. And so they say, well, we're going to make you do it. Well, how, they, how on earth are they going to make me do a marriage ceremony for somebody that I don't want to do one for? And why would anybody want me to do one for them if I didn't want to do it for them? Come on. You hear what I'm saying? And so we get this fear-mongering that comes in. Oh, they're going to make you do anything. They're make me do anything. Don't you think some homosexual couple in California wants to go somebody's going to smile at them and says, I do? You think for a minute they're going to stand before somebody with a beat-up old King James Thompson chain reference Bible and think that I'm going to preach that service if they're ready? Don't that just make sense? But we find ourselves in this whole thing that's distracting. Let me give you another example. How about the green peace movements? That along with that political focus, it focuses on groundwork and all these things that found their way in. Kingdom now and dominion theology. That they're looking to take over the five seats of power. We're going to take over the, the, the seat of government, of finance, the arts, education, and science. And we're going to do such a fine job that God's going to say, okay, son, now you can go and set up on your throne. Folks, that stuff's taught. That stuff is in there. That's what he's talking about. What about the humanitarian movement? Well, that'll get your heartstrings. 
How many of you have been up at 2 o'clock in the morning to go to sleep, turn the television on, and, and sitting there watching feed the children, crying your eyes out? Come on. Just for 25 cents a day, you can feed 40 children. You think you sit away for it? You got the little picture in the mail, and everybody on the street got the same picture. And you want to fix it. So I'm going to do that. But you think about all these things, that, and it's whatever the, the top thing is. That was it. We get the, the we want to remedy world hunger. You know what Jesus said? He said, "Listen, folks, I news for you. The poor are always going to be among you." How, how many times did he say, "Okay, guys, we're going to rise up"? Yeah, he fed five thousand people, but I don't think they were hungry people. They were people looking for a free lunch. You know, they got it. It wasn't because they were a bunch of starving folks. He fed them because he's like, "Let me show you something." Let me show you why they're really here. They're here for the loaves and fishes. They're here for the word. Because once the word stops, they're filled with their belly. They're gone. So we've got the humanitarian movements. We want to stop homelessness. We want to stop sex trafficking or whatever the, the, the hot button emotional stirring issues are. Because all those things kind of fill a need for us at the moment. But they're, they're still not gospel. And so we can get distracted by all of these things that seem so good. They seem like they're making such an impact. And at the end of the day, it doesn't change anything. Why? Because the Bible says this world is going to wax worse and worse and worse and worse. And so all these do is take temporal issues rooted in the fallen world and substitute them for something eternally focused, relating to the kingdom. And what it does, all this stuff is just a kingdom that comes without observation. Because his kingdom is inside of us. And so these agendas that we have, whether it's Cold War, War Majority, Peace Movements, Humanitarian Movements, all these things, they just set us up for something. And it's the fourth thing that Jesus mentioned in Matthew 24. It says, many will be offended and will betray and hate one another. How does that set up? Well, because the deception comes in. They use the name of Christ. They walk in lockstep in the world. All these agendas come up then many will be offended and betray and hate one another. I want to tell you why. Offend means this. It means to fall into a trap or a snare that's been set. Have you ever been, felt like you've been set up? Or whatever situation. You know, I, I think I shared here uh, one time about a couple in the church that I pastored in Texas. They called and said, yo, pastor, man, you, I, man, the stuff that's going on in the church, man, God is just blessing. It's amazing. That's some of the stuff. I knew I was getting set up. Oh, hallelujah, I've never felt the Spirit like I felt it. All these things, they, they set me up. Hey, wouldn't you like to do even more? Wouldn't you like to be able to, you know, I know we're feeding 250 uh, sit-down meals to the homeless, the needy, single moms. Wouldn't you like to be able to do 500? Now, how are you going to say no to that? Hey, can we come over? i got a friend that we want to talk to you about something. Uh, yeah, come on over. I know I'm being set up. So they show up at my house, and they sit down, and he says, listen, you got a lot of people kind of in your, your sphere of influence, don't you? I said, I, I guess, a few. And he's like, you really want to help them people, don't you? I know I'm being set up. He said, wouldn't you like to be able to do more? He said, do you ever feel like there's just not enough resources to do what you want to do? Uh, yeah, I'm sure. But he don't know me because I know I'm being set up. So what he's doing, he's trying to buy me into some multi-level marketing scheme. And so I'm calling him out on this stuff. I'm calling him out on their agenda and saying, listen, I'm not signing up for anything. I'm not signing up. They, they wouldn't even use the word Amway. That's what it turned out to be. God bless you if you're into that stuff. I just don't do that stuff. 
And so when I rejected it and I said, who do you think I am anyway? That I would prostitute the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and I would use the influence that God has entrusted me with to get in somebody's pocket, to get them in my downline. Do you really think that I have such a shallow character and that's what I'm about? That you can bring such a nonsensical agenda into my home and think that I was going to bite that hook? Well, what happened? Well, they got offended because I didn't fall into their trap. I never saw that couple again. That couple that says they'd never heard, felt the spirit move like that. They had never been in a place that they'd seen great things. Why? Because I didn't buy into what they wanted me to buy into. And I said, oh, that's not what I'm about. Now, I didn't tell them not to sell Amway. Go sell your Amway. Get you some bubbles or whatever it is they sell and, and have a good time. But don't expect me to buy into it just because you bought into it. And that's what he's saying. They'll be, be offended. They'll, they'll set a, a snare and a trap for you. And if you don't fall into it, what's going to happen is they will betray one another. To betray literally means to abandon a directive. It means that God has placed a directive, and for whatever reason, you deviate from it. You know, years ago, matter of fact, it was in 2000, it was in October, I don't know exactly what it was, October 2003, 10 years ago this month. Well, when I were getting ready, I was preaching in a church at, on River Road in Amarillo, Texas, and a lady came up to me. She said, I don't know what this is going to mean to you. She said, but it'll come back, and here I am 10 years later mentioning what she said. She said, the Lord told me to tell you, don't get involved in the skirmishes. He hasn't called you to the skirmish. He's called you to the battle. The skirmishes are just going to come to distract you from the battlefield. And I remember that. But you know what? I saw all the little skirmishes wanting to get me to abandon the directive over the years. Say, okay, what about this? What about that? Man, this is kind of cool. Do that. This is kind of cool. God's called me to the battle. And I think about that 10 years later. You know, one of the things we always wanted God to do was give us a place to train people that come in from literally all over the world and house people in this city. And I think if we would have abandoned that directive, would we be standing on the cusp of somebody handing us over a 20,000 square foot building on the interstate free of charge? That's what we have now. We have a million dollar building that because we held to the directive, Somebody sat down and bought that for us in the last 10 days. Come on, that's it. What if we had been chasing skirmishes or this and that and this and that? What we've done, we've got ourselves out of the pathway of where God wanted us to be. And hate, here's what it means. It says to cease to esteem or to hold in high regard. Oh, man, that guy, man, he's the best thing since sliced bread. That dude's got it going on. Well, as long as he's doing what I want him to do. Then the next minute, you know why? He's a rat. Why? Because he's not doing what I want him to do. He's not buying into what I want him to buy into. Folks, that's the setup. It says many will be offended and they will hate one another. The Word of God predicts that even in the body of Christ, that personal ambitions, agendas, goals will attempt to subvert the will of God and create an environment where the gospel becomes secondary to other issues. Folks, listen. I want my life to be so predictable, it will bore you to death. Here, that's what I want. I don't want you to sit there thinking, what's going to happen next with that preacher? I want to be so predictable that it will bore you to death. I want you to say, I know what he's going to do. He's going to teach the word, and he's going to win the lost. Well, what else is he going to do? That's it. He's going to preach the word, and he's going to win the lost. Well, what else is he going to do? Well, he's going to preach the word and win the lost. Well, what about such and such? Well, if it involves one of the lost, he'd probably do that. Well, what about this? Well, it involves teaching the word, he's probably going to do that. 
Folks, at the end of the day, I'm not looking for a lollipop to stick over the top of my hair. Look at it once in a while. I want to become predictable in Christ Jesus. I want to set my face like a flint. I don't want to look to the left or to the right. I don't want to, I don't want to buy into the next three-ring circus or whatever else. I want to become predictable, line upon line, precept upon precept, not veering to the left or to the right, not caught up in skirmishes and all these other things that do not serve and fulfill the test of time. Folks, heaven and earth, circumstances, situations, novelties are going to pass away, but his word will not pass away. Then watch what happens. Jesus says they'll become very convincing, these false prophets, religious imposters. He says they will rise and deceive many. That word in the Greek is pseudo-prophetetos. In other words, a pseudo-prophet. Kind of looks like one. It says they'll be dressed in sheep's clothing and they'll utilize terms and causes that resemble true faith, but the underlying motivation is going to be something different. That's what he says is going to rise. Folks, we see it all the time. They come and they look the right, they look right, they kind of sound right, they use terminologies, and they do something that plucks and strings at our heartstrings. But at the end of the day, if we really measure it against the word of God, it doesn't hold water. The most convincing errors are those that adopt some of the characteristics of the truth, yet abandon the character of the truth. Do I need to say that again? The most convincing errors are those that adopt the characteristics of the truth but abandon the character of the truth. Folks, listen. Character is something that's only demonstrated over time. That's what it is. Because anybody can come. I guarantee you, anybody's been involved in ministry. You've had people grab you, Pastor Brandon, and say, listen, I'm with you, I'm with you, I'm with you. 30 minutes later, they're not with you, they're not with you, they're not with you. Where were they? Well, they had the characteristics, but they seemed so nice. And you know, you want, you want to be that way. You want to say, yeah, they seem nice, they seem sweet, they seem this. Where they at when things get rough? Where they at when things take a turn? Are they still there? Are they still enduring? Well, that's what he said. They're going to be very convincing. They're going to utilize the right terms. They're going to have characteristics, but not the character. There's a fifth thing. The sixth thing, it says, and this is the one that we see manifesting in this week's study in 1 John, verse 12. It says, because lawlessness, iniquity, wickedness, sinfulness will abound. It says, the love of many wax cold. Folks, anytime that you have a departure from the faith, anytime truth is substituted for emotion, anytime that benevolence, programs, agendas, causes are substituted just for the truth, lawlessness or departure from God's prescribed order of things finds its way in. You can't get around it. Anytime I inject something into the equation that doesn't belong there and I try to call it the word of God, what happens? Lawlessness abounds. Anytime you have that departure from it, you'll see it. Where do we see it? Matthew chapter 7, verses 15, 22, and 23. It's very familiar to you. He says, Beware of false prophets. That's the same word. That's pseudo prophetitis. He said, Which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Anybody like that stuff? That's what they're going to say. You're going to cast out devils. Been there, done that. And you're not even going to do many wonderful works. All these accolades. That's so cool. That's so neat. That's such a world-changing thing. But he said, I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work lawlessness or iniquity. Because lawlessness abounds, the love of many wax cold. Folks, isn't that amazing? He said lawlessness abounded in Matthew 7 where there was prophecy given. 
Lawlessness was characterized where there was deliverance ministry. Lawlessness was evoked where miracles were happening. In other words, we see in Matthew 7 what he talks about in Matthew 24. There's this deception that comes in and brings lawlessness. And what's the consequence of it? Well, he tells us, because lawlessness abounds, the love of many will wax cold. Did you notice that he didn't say, many are going to come to me in that day and say, God, we just taught the truth. Or many are going to come to me and say, and say God, listen, we just went out and told people the plan of salvation. Why didn't it say that? Well, because those things don't sell records, tapes, and get you on billboards. Notice he didn't say that. He said all these other things that have an inroad or a pathway into our soulish nature that can be substituted. Folks, there is no darkness. There is no lie in the truth is what we learned two weeks ago. And so you can't say I'm preaching the truth and I'm saying you work of iniquity. You can't say I'm winning people to Jesus and be a worker of iniquity. Why? Because those are the very foundations that the kingdom of God is built upon. It's all these other peripheral things that tantalize our flesh, these things that can be substituted, these things that can be counterfeited. Folks, it didn't say preaching truth or winning the lost to Jesus. Biblical love cannot be manifested apart from biblical truth. I'll say that to you again. Biblical love cannot be seen or manifested beyond biblical truth. Folks, you know, I was thinking about something as preparing this. There's a lot of things that are called love, right? A lot of things that are they're promoted and said they're okay. And, and these things, they, they kind of seem okay. Anybody, your kids are grown. I know the, the Richards and the, the Krogans and the Luminaries, we're not grown kids. Now, do you remember when your kids, my kids were little? And boy, they'd be acting up. And we'd send them somewhere. Maybe they'd go to their grandparents' house or whatever else. And now as grandparents, we're guilty of the same thing. And they would be just cutting up, and they'd get to their grandparents' house, and they'd be acting all like little angels. <laughs> you laugh, because they're around you. Y'all were just killing each other. Now you're acting all nice, and the grandparents say, well, I can't believe you think that they're being mean. They're so sweet and nice. And you're thinking to yourself, they're rotten little deceivers. <laughs> Okay, here's the question. Is that, are those children that were fighting and pulling each other's hair out for 12 hours, is that the reality? Are those ones that know how to zip it up for about 15 minutes in front of grandma, is that the reality? The reality is who they are all the time. Not for that 15 minutes in front of grandma where they can put on a happy face and tell her what she wants. Folks, that's what's happened in the body of Christ. Biblical love is built upon biblical truth. Character is something seen over time. It's not just a, a, a 15 minute little, little, little encounter with grandma who's going to hold you in the best light. It's the reality of it that comes out and bears fruit over time. That's what we got to be careful of. That's why you got to weigh those things. That's why you know a tree by not its leaves, but you know a tree by its fruit. Leaves may be on the tree all year long, but there's a season for truth. Uh, for fruit that you've got to wait it out. So the problem in John's day is that false teaching found its way into the church. It, it appealed to the humanity of people. It, it, it catered to emotions. It catered to felt need. It supported personal agendas. While on the surface, this seemed like an environment that would foster tolerance and mercy and acceptance of one another. But at the end of the day, it does the exact opposite. 
Why? Because Kings tells us when there's no king, Judges actually is where it's at, Judges 17, when there's no king in the land, everyone does what's right in their own eyes. Right? When there's no authority, when there's no acceptable standard, everyone does what's right in their own eyes. Well, that's fine until someone gets in disagreement. Brandon and I was driving down the street the other day in my van, and there's these kids that were just throwing down. I mean, they couldn't have been 10 or 12 years old. But they had watched one too many episodes of the Ultimate Fighter because they were just pounding each other in the world. And I mean, they were just hitting each other. And so I pull up in my van. I start honking just to distract them. Boy, they didn't care what we were doing. They just kept on wailing on each other. So Bradley yelled at them, what are y'all doing? Well, he called me such and such or whatever else. And Aren't y'all friends? No, we're not friends. I thought afterwards, are y'all friends? I can't believe you're asking that question. They're just pounding each other in the face. <laughs> You know what's interesting though is the next day I drove down that block, they were all playing together. Now, what was it that they disagreed on? Well, one of them said as we drove off that day, they disagreed over who got to use which controller in a video game. Now, folks, we'll laugh about kids getting over that, but we do the same thing. Who gets the blue controller? Who gets the yellow controller? Who gets to make this decision whatever else? Well, that's not a real relationship. That's something that built upon as long as I agree with you, I'm with you. But the second I don't, we're throwing down in the middle of the street. And so that's what ends up happening. That early church and the church of the day, what they say is, let's just all get together and agree. Folks, listen, there ain't no way you're ever going to agree with me on everything. There ain't no way I'm ever going to agree with you on everything. But if we can agree on this, you hear what I'm saying? If we can agree and make the message sacred and not the method, I tell you what, we can go a long way. Why? Because then we'll have something to stand upon. If we can keep our face like a flint, not look to the right, to the left, and to set our affections on those things that are above and not beneath, what happens? Now we can, we can cohabit one another because what happens? We make the main thing the main thing. And so that infiltrated the church and it did this. But 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 7 says this. He says, it's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that even the pagans do not tolerate. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever seen, have you ever been in a, in a, in a service, a church, that somebody had to be brought before the church and publicly rebuked? Anybody been a part of that? Okay. If, if you have, raise your hand. You, you've been a part of that. Most people haven't. Now, you that raised your hand, those services you read, was I part of those services? Yeah. <laughs> I, I saw the hands and I figured that was the case. Now, isn't it interesting that that's not employed? So you're telling me that there's not sexual immorality in the church that's gone unrepentant of. Are you telling me that there's people that have not solved those differences that are not being brought, you're telling me Matthew 18 is obsolete in our day and age. Don't you tell me? But you don't see it happening. Why? Because people don't want to deal with things on that level. I shared with you uh, a couple of weeks ago, I think it was, I had a couple in the church years and years ago that uh, they were dating and they ended up in sexual immorality. And uh, I went to them and I called them out. I said, listen, you're gonna go, you were plugged into people in ministry. Both of you guys were. You were trusted. And you're going to stand before this church and you're going to give an account. Now, praise God, you know what they did? They said, yes, we will. 
We don't want that. We allowed an inroad. We were warned. You warned us. And now we got to meet the consequences. They stood up. Now, many years later, you know what? They're involved in ministry. They got married. They got a blessed family. But you know what? I had people say, I can't believe you did that. Well, I can't believe that you wouldn't want me to do that. Because that's what the Bible says to do. But folks, what ends up happening is we get this twisted view of what love is. He goes on to say, he said, a man, he's sleeping with his father's wife. He said, are you so proud of that? Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and, and, and put out of your fellowship the man who's doing, doing this? He said, for my part, he said, though I'm not even physically present with you, he said, I am a spirit. And he says, I'm the one that's going to present this to you this way. He said, I've already passed judgment in the name of our Lord on this one who keeps on doing this. So when you're assembled and I'm with you in spirit, he said, you hand this one over to Satan for the destruction of their flesh so that his spirit might be saved on the day of the Lord. He said, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven will leaven the whole lump? Folks, when you start making concessions on things built upon uh, things being able to, to, to be tolerated and want to get along, and what are people going to think? Folks, I'll tell you what. At the end of the day, when I'm standing before Jesus, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands of who thought I did the right thing. Ain't going to do it. Because I will never answer to anybody right now to my loving wife of 27 years. I'll stand before the Lord God Almighty and I'll give an account. He's going to hold me according to this criteria. And folks, you know what? That's the same for every single one of us. But where lawlessness abounds, where we depart from that standard, the love of many will wax cold. Paul dealt with it right there. He said, listen, are you so proud? Do you not even realize what's going on underneath your nose? Are you going to allow that young man to die and go to hell? Now, if you've read the second letter of the church of Corinth, you know what happened to that young man? He got put out. He got restored. Period. He got restored. Why? Because his sin was put out there, put out of the church. He was turned over, and God said, listen, you go do your own thing. But he repented, and he came back to Christ. Amen? That's the standard that he wants us. So 1 John 3, 11 through 19, he said, this is the message you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Folks, the standard of love is not which appeals to the flesh, but rather that which is consistent with the Spirit as seen in the Word of God. My flesh likes it nice. My flesh hates conflict. My flesh doesn't like those things. But folks, how many of you know that he chastens and corrects the, those that he loves? Now, a child left to its own, the Bible says, will bring the mother to shame. You spoil the rod, you spoil the child. Foolishness is bound in the heart of the child, but the rod of correction will bring it, drive it far from them, is what the scripture says. And so he loves me, so he corrects me. Love is holiness personified. Love always requires justice. Love is not distracted by moments. It sees the bigger picture. That's why the word says, listen, if your right eye offends you, look it out. If your right hand offends you, cut it off. Now, he's not talking about folks walking around with patches and prosthetic limbs. He's talking about the body of Christ. He said, isn't it better to go into heaven with an eye missing and a hand missing than go to hell with all your appendages? He said, you don't let those things infiltrate the body of Christ. But what had happened in John's letter, they had allowed that stuff to come into the body of Christ because maybe they didn't want to hurt somebody's feelings. Maybe they were nice people. Maybe they had some neat little social programs going on. And he says, listen, because of that, what happened? The love of many whacked told. And he said, this is how you know the children of God, the children of, devil, the children of the devil, those that love righteousness, the truth, and those that love their brethren. But you don't really love your brother unless you hold them to the standard of God's word. 
It's in verse 12. We must not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and killed his brother. It says, why did he kill him? Because Cain had been doing what was evil and his brother was doing what was right. Folks, listen. Cain sought to eliminate that which revealed his own deficiencies. That's what Cain wanted to do. Listen, if I can get my competition out of the way, it makes what I'm doing look okay because there's nothing to measure it against. In other words, what do you do? You can use slander. You can use gossip. You can usurp authority. All of these things that we've seen happen in churches and the body of Christ for years and years and years. Let me eliminate the competition. That way, whatever I'm doing can rise to the top. That's exactly what Cain did. He said, so don't be surprised at verse 13, dear brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. They will not see value in what God sees value in. Folks, listen. If you hold to a high standard, the world will not see value. Young ladies, listen. For you, if you put value in who you are before the Lord Jesus Christ, the world may not see value in that. The, the world sees value in, 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 in what you'll give them or what you'll do for them or how much compromise you're allowed to come in your life. They see value. You, go out and you see the sexualization of young women right down to little kids anymore. You see toddlers and tiaras and they, they, they profane children and, and, and have them present. What, what, why do they think we have all these problems? Why do they think the, the, the pornography issues? Why do we sexualize a child that's four years old? What do you think is going to happen? When you walk down Bourbon Street and one of the clubs is called Barely Legal, what, what does that even mean? Does that mean that, 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 that you're a barely a pervert or almost a pervert? Is, is that what it means when we promote those things? And that, stuff's, that stuff's acceptable in our city, but you go three blocks over and you sexually molest somebody that's barely legal, they'll put you in jail. But we're going to put billboards up and bring people in and all that perverse type of thing. Why? Because it meets a need, the world will hate you because they don't see value in what we see value in. First Thessalonians 3, 4, he said, for in fact, we told you beforehand when we were with you that you would suffer tribulation just as that you know. Folks, listen, the world's going to hate you. Hold the standard high, the world's going to hate you, whether the world's in the church or out of the church. You hold up a standard. Why? Because the higher you hold up a standard in Christ Jesus, here's the condemnation. The light is coming to the world, but men love darkness rather than light. Because their deeds were evil. Now they'll say to you, Polly, they're going to be you. All you're going to tell them what the word says. But they're going to hate you because you turned the light on. But you've got to raise that standard of holiness and righteousness. So in verse 14, if we love our brothers and sisters, it proves that we have passed from life into death, but a person who has no love is still dead. Folks, that's based on a greater reality. That's the reality of what love is in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Not the love is that it's ooey and gooey, but it's these things that are not self serving, not boastful, not proud. These things that don't hold a record wrong. It's that type of love. And he says in verse 15, anyone who hates another brother or sister is really a murderer at heart, and you know that murderers don't have eternal life. Folks, you know what hate means literally? Have you idea? It means to no longer hold in high esteem. It means not to hold someone in the highest regard. It's like the scripture tells us, the first commandment with promise, honor your mother and father in all things that you can live long upon the earth. It means hold them in a high regard. Honor mom and dad doesn't mean that, you know, I'm 40 years old or 50 years old and I'm doing everything. They say, That's not what honor is. It says I'm holding them in a place of high regard. I'm esteeming them, not because of what they do, but because who they are. That's what it means to love somebody. It's not that you do everything that I want you to do, Dave, or you act the way I want you to act. It's because you're my brother. I'm holding you in high regard. And so I have an expectation in your life that is much higher than what I see. 
It's based upon the blood of Jesus, not your idiosyncrasies or mine or what we don't see. That's not what it's based upon. It's based upon something so much greater than those things. That's what it means to hold somebody in high regard. And it says, listen, I'm not going to say or do anything that I think could bruise you or that's going to hate you. I'm going to be considerate of what I do because, you know what, that, that may be something. There may be a, a something in your heart that that wounds, and I will never want to wound you. That's what it means. If I'm, if I'm hateful, if I'm a coarse jesting, if I'm doing something, if I know somebody has a, a sensitivity and I keep poking and prodding that area, that means I'm not holding them in high regard any longer. He said, we know that what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us, so we also give our lives up for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need, but does not show any compassion, how can God's love be in that person? What does it mean? If, if you have a way to help somebody and you don't help them, what does it say about us? Now, I always get put to that test. Anybody else here? Amen? I remember pastor in Texas, and uh, we had a building paid for it. I figure that's kind of a track record for us. But I had, a, I had a, uh, a young man that his first pastor moved into the city and started pastoring a church. And this church had overbuilt for the congregation. I think the guy that was there wanted some something to say he built. It wasn't all that anyway. But he got this church in heavy debt. So this young pastor comes in to an aged, aged congregation, and they can't afford the payment on this place. And so they're real far behind. And so I'm talking to him on the phone one day, just sharing with him, hey, brother, what's happening? He's telling me, man, you know, I'm suddenly a lot of stress. You pray for him. What's going on? And you know, this guy built this building. I'm having to take the responsibility, and this, the, the capital's not being generated. We'll do it. And I go, oh, brother, I'll, I'll pray for you. And I hung up the phone, and the Lord said, what are you doing? And he took me to, to, to Joshua chapter 1, when you had Reuben and Gad and the, the half-tribe of Manasseh that decided to stay on the other side of Jordan. But he said, listen, you got your stuff. Your building's paid for. But what you're going to do is you're going to fight for your brother anyway until he can possess the land. And so I picked that phone up and I said, Brother, listen, i got to pay for a building and I want to help you. And I said, can I help you? He's like, well, what do you mean? I said, here's what we want to do. I said, let me get something together. I said, I'm going to call my friend, my pastor friends around town. We're going to have a, 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 a long weekend of special services, bringing some groups in, some musicians and all this stuff. And just have a, a big time and take up some offerings. He said, well, that'd be good for y'all. I'm like, no, 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 that'd be good for you. I said, because we're going to take up all these offerings and we're going to give them all back to your church. And so I scheduled speakers for this whole, this whole period. And we had people come out. And, we, and people gave and gave and gave. And you know how much they gave? Exactly to the dollar what that church needed to get a little back. And they, the people who gave didn't even know what it was. They just knew that we were going to help these folks. Now, folks, I didn't have anything in my pocket to give him. Right. But you know what? I had friends. I had a little influence. I had brothers and sisters that, that loved me, and I loved them, and we did things for each other. So I gave what I gave, and I was picking up a phone call and said, hey, listen, we got a brother who needs some help. He's preaching the truth. He loves Jesus. Can, we, can you come and be a part? Folks, and whatever it is in your life, whether it's your time, whether it's your companionship, whether it's a phone call, whether it's what you got in your pockets, whatever, if you have the ability to do something, and you don't do it, what does it say about the love of God being you? He said, look, dear children, let's not really say that we love each other. Let's show it. Show the truth by our actions. And folks, just like I said, showing it's not always just giving something. Showing it's sometimes holding the standard. It's saying, listen, that's not going to be tolerated. Listen, Sam, here's the standard that God expects out of you. And because he does, I do. I do. 
And if we're going to have fellowship with one another, it's going to be based upon those standards. Otherwise, we don't have fellowship with one another. Doesn't mean I won't love you, doesn't mean anything else. It just means that I cannot be unequally yoked together with an unbeliever. If you're an act like an unbeliever, I don't want you around me. I love you, I'm going to pray you back into the kingdom. Now, what does that do? That puts a consequence on walking in lawlessness. Because unless there's a consequence, what do we say? I get a free ride. I don't have to, to pay the piper. I don't have to take responsibility for my actions. Folks, the reason is when lawlessness abounds, the love of many wax cold. We hold the standard up. What does it do? He's lifted up. He draws men to him. Now I'm crucified with Christ. All that old stuff that stands in the way, that identifies me with everything in the world, those things fall helpless at my feet. And now the common denominator is the blood of Jesus and the truth of God's word. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you.